excuse me if I sit down today. It has um, been a long day to stand up. It hasn't been easy standing up for a little while. Uh, the, the whole um, experience of sitting down, although it may be a little bit unusual for us, is not actually without precedent, let me just say. Some years ago we had the opportunity to visit the ancient synagogue in Chorazin, which is one of the cities that Jesus actually preached against. Chorazin, a city that demonstrated very little faith. In 1969, they discovered uh, what they believed to be called the seat of Moses in the synagogue. It's a solid granite seat that the preeminent teacher in the synagogue would sit on and preach from. And so while we were there, one of my colleagues invited me to sit on Moses' seat <laughs> and preach. And so sitting down to preach is not that unusual. If you're interested to know what the topic of the sermon was, it went like this. Woe to you who drink coffee early in the morning. <laughs> For while you're on the bus, you will be wondering where the first rest stop is. Woe to you who is addicted to caffeine. For your attention will be drawn perilously continuously to where your next fix will come from. <laughs> it was good fun. What I'd like to um, ask you to do just for a moment is, uh, if you could, recall a time when you experienced extreme fatigue, a time where the body was just absolutely exhausted, a time when you thought, oh my goodness, I just cannot go on. Now there's all sorts of occasions where this might be the case. It might be brought on by being engaged in a long and difficult period of work. It could be uh, an occasion where you're involved in high-level conflict with someone. It might be fatigue that uh, we, we may even already be anticipating as Christmas draws closer with all of the busyness and the activity and the fullness of our calendars leading into that time. It might be fatigue that comes from sitting vigil at the bedside of somebody who is dying. There's all sorts of things that might contribute to fatigue. The kind of fatigue perhaps that is so great that even though you put your head on the pillow, uh, it's impossible to sleep. The mind is just overtired. And if you've thought about that, what comes to mind if I say the word rest? Think about rest. If you're like me, you might think of a lovely uh, comfortable bed or uninterrupted sleep or a comfortable chair to slump into or uh, sitting by the ocean enjoying the serenity of uh, the sea. Uh, whatever it is that overcomes that fatigue, the kind of rest that we probably would normally imagine would be mental or physical or emotional, uh, but even perhaps spiritual when the weight is lifted from us. Some um, years ago, I had a rather unfortunate accident uh, when I was bike riding. It was a very unfortunate one in the sense that um, it happened in front of a whole heap of school kids. Um, you know, <laughs> just one of those moments that should not have happened. Fell down, jagged the knee on the ground, jumped up and said straight away, nothing to see here. Went home and Diana said, think you better go to hospital. And so I went to hospital. By the time I'd been sitting there for half an hour or so, uh, the adrenaline had disappeared out of the system and the pain really started to kick in. And bless her heart, a young doctor came along and gave me a shot of morphine, the first and only one I've ever had. And the feeling of relief, my goodness, it was amazing. Rest. We all need it. 
We all love it. We crave it. Today we come to chapter 4 in the book of Hebrews, which Mum read for us, which speaks of a Sabbath rest. A Sabbath rest for God's people. The word Sabbath probably evokes all sorts of uh, reactions or thinking when you think about that word Sabbath. If you've come from a very strict Christian tradition, and some of you may have, uh, the Sabbath, uh, observance of the Sabbath or observance of a day of rest more particularly may have been very much part and parcel of your life growing up. It's not a rabbit hole that I want to go down this morning because to be frankly honest with you, Hebrews chapter 4 is not talking about that. It's talking about something far deeper, something more significant, something more comprehensive than ceasing from work from one day a week and something much more significant than uh, we would get into arguments with people about who say we should worship on Saturday rather than Sunday. It's got nothing to do with this passage. The book of Hebrews uh, is quite different as we've already discovered to most of the other books in the New Testament. Last week Darren made the observation that it reads a lot more like a sermon than a letter and I think there's some truth in that. And there are some who would argue that it's probably a sermon that has been recorded and expanded uh, and here we have it in this form. In this early part of the book, uh, these first few chapters, the author has made the case first that Jesus was superior or is superior to the angels, those celestial beings who are impressive and are powerful but are nowhere near on the same scale as Jesus, Jesus inferior to him. In chapter 3 that Darren looked at last week, the case was made that Jesus is superior to Moses who was preeminent amongst the ancient leaders of the people of Israel. And broadly speaking, we'd say today, if we look at the passage that we're looking at, the argument is made that Jesus is superior to Joshua, the one who led the people into the promised land. But it's not a case here of the author doing, you know, what school kids might do, that my dad's better than your dad. You know, my dad's got a red car. Well, that's nothing. My dad's got a V8. I'm not sure that you'd hear that anymore. You might hear, my dad's got a red car. Or, that's nothing. My dad's got a hybrid. It's not what the author of the Hebrew letter, of the Hebrew book is all about. The author of Hebrews' intention is to make the case that Jesus is superior over all of those others. And that means that he has an unsurpassed position and an unsurpassed authority. And as a consequence, there are some significant demands that he makes upon us. Uh, the one who, however, can give to us a Sabbath rest. So let's talk about this Sabbath rest idea. What is this all about? One of the things a number of New, New Testament authors do is actually help us by looking back at the Old Testament, understand how things in the Old Testament are used by God to foreshadow things that are coming in the New Testament. So, for example, the idea of the city of Jerusalem, we know it was a physical city in a place, in a time, it's still there. Uh, the scripture understands that the physical city of Jerusalem foreshadows something that God will do in the future, a new Jerusalem, a new creation. The sacrificial system that we see there in the Old Testament sacrifices that were made for people's sins time and time again foreshadowed something that was going to be done in the future and we see fulfilled in Christ. And the Sabbath functions in the same kind of the way. The Sabbath was a big deal to the Jewish people. 
a very important observation. There are many times, in fact, that you know Jesus got himself into trouble with the Pharisees because he didn't do what they expected or thought was right for him to do on the Sabbath. He challenged some of their assumptions, he challenged some of their thinking, he challenged what they argued the purpose was for the Sabbath. And the mistake that the Pharisees made was thinking that the Sabbath that they experienced, this literal day, was, uh, was uh, all there was. But in fact, through history, the Sabbath was to point to something greater, something more significant, what the author to the book of Hebrews calls this Sabbath rest. But what's a Sabbath rest? What is this that the author alludes to? Well, um, let's sum it up by saying this. It's a state of reconciliation, a state of peace, a state of contentment in relationship with God, a state of equilibrium in a way, if you like, in the relationship between God and his people. Again, something that was achieved by Jesus on the cross. This passage that we have in front of us today is described by some scholars as being enigmatic and uh, uh, ambiguous. Two words that any preacher will want to shy away from. An enigmatic and ambiguous passage is a difficult one to deal with. So let's try and break it down into some kind of uh, simple line of argument, if you like, to make some applications that will make sense. First of all, the first thing we want to say here is that um, the author relies heavily on the concept of Sabbath. The notion of Sabbath um, has its origins way, way back in history. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, in fact. Because after completing his work at creation, what did God do? He rested. God rested on the Sabbath, and not because God was exhausted, not because God had done so much work he needed to take a break. It was because his work was complete. Now, back in the day when we lived in Mailer's Flat, we had a couple of acres that I used to mow. Those of you who like mowing will understand how that could happen. And uh, it would take perhaps six hours to do the whole lot. I'd start, do the house block, do the cross the road, do out through the paddock. It was a big day. And it was good. I was sitting on the ride on for most of the time, so it wasn't generally that exhausting. But at the end of it, and those of you who do like mowing will understand this sentiment, at the end of it, you could look and you say, what a lovely job. How pleasant it was then to walk out into the paddock where all the grass was cut, where everything was clean and tidy. I'd take the dog out with me and you could almost sense the exuberance in him as well. He'd come out and run and enjoy and we'd roll around and, and mess about on the grass. It, we'd lie down on this beautiful carpet. There was a sense of completion, a sense of contentment in that space. And that's what's been communicated in Genesis chapter 2. When God completed that work, he didn't rest because he was exhausted. He rested because it was done. It was complete. It was right. The second observation we'd make about the Sabbath is this. It was enshrined in one of the Ten Commandments. And that was done to orient, God intended for it to orient his people to that same dynamic, to that sense of contentment, completion, that sense of rightness, the word shalom in the relationship between God and his people. It's a poor analogy, but let's use it anyway. 
It's a bit like a dress code, if you like, this Sabbath that God gave his people. It's, it's a dress, you understand how dress codes work? There's a few people getting around getting married shortly. Um, they'll tell you what the dress code is for the wedding. So you know how to dress so that you don't turn up in, in a bow tie and feel out of place and so that you don't turn up in your old dungarees and feel out of place. A dress code sort of communicates what the culture or the ambiance of that gathering is to be. And in some senses, that Sabbath that God established for his people was to address that question. What is the ambiance? What is the culture that we want to create in this relationship? What is the culture that God wanted to create in his relationship with his people? The third observation about the Sabbath is this. When God brought his people to the promised land, his intention was that when they entered the promised land, they would enter into that rest, that contented relationship with him. He would be their God, they would be his people. And the whole notion, and we see this recorded in the Old Testament on many occasions, this notion of entering into this rest was not so that they could kick their legs back in their banana lounges and grab the nearest grapes off the closest grapevine and do nothing. That was never God's intention. It was that there would be a relationship of contentment, that there would be right relationship between God and his people. Let's just jump uh, for a second to um, Romans. Paul writes these words, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what God wanted for his people from the beginning. Peace with God, right relationship. And it comes through Jesus, through whom we've also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Sabbath, and I'm preempting what I want to say, Sabbath has its focus on Jesus because through history God was pointing to something that was to come. The plan, however, and we see this in Hebrews chapter 4 because this is of interest to our author, the plan that God had to bring his people to a place of rest came unstuck. It came unstuck because not long after they came out of Egypt, uh, they quickly forgot about the miraculous delivery that they'd experienced from opposition. They started to complain about the catering. Uh, and on the cusp of entering the land, after the spies had been into the land, and they came back with reports of this land flowing with milk and honey, there's some giants there, the people said, whoa, we're not going. We're not doing that. And in his anger, roused because of their willful disobedience, God said that not one of those who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, who instead disobeyed me and tested me ten times, will ever see uh, their entry, uh, sorry, will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. And so we come to the concern that's expressed by the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 uh, that some did not get into the land because of their unbelief. The good news, I'm sorry I'm having some trouble with um, changing slides here and today I'm the one changing the slides. The good news however that we see here in this passage is the promise to enter God's rest though it was missed by those who did not go into the land, uh, that, that promise is still available. We're just going to leave Romans 5 up there. 
I'm not going to try and fix that again. Maybe the Lord wants to speak to you today through Romans 5 verses 1 and 2. There's not many other slides in this uh, set anyway. The good news, let's focus on this though. Uh, this, this which happened way back was foreshadowing something that was yet to come, a more comprehensive rest that God had planned and is entered to through Jesus. In fact, in, Rome, in uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3, the author says that those who have believed in the gospel, past tense, have already entered into that rest, present, present tense. And so one of the things that's running strongly through this passage is a warning. It's very similar to the warning that, um, that Laura, where's Laura? Laura gave me when, when Diana and I came and sat down with the search committee here at Wodonga District Baptist Church. Because the night uh, on which we sat down, I said to Laura, have you got any advice before I go? And she said four words, don't stuff it up. <laughs> And this is exactly what the author of Hebrews is saying. Don't mess it up. Back in the ancient times, the people stumbled. They failed. They failed to exercise faith. They failed to be obedient. Don't make that mistake. In fact, you can hear the pastoral heart of the author in verse 1 when he says, Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. And in verse 11 where he says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that none will fall by following their example of disobedience. Look at the story, look at the experience of those who failed. Don't make the same mistake because the promise of entering God's rest is still available. What does this mean for us? Let me just give you a couple of quick observations. First of all, the promise of entering God's rest is as valid today as it ever was. One of the things the author wants us to understand is this promise that God made to his people to bring them to a place of rest has its fulfilment in Christ and it's still available for us. It's a promise that was actually completed at creation when God created the earth and everything in it. On the seventh day he rested, everything was done. Everything that was necessary for our salvation was made complete then. And God knew even at that stage the trajectory of human history and of human disobedience. But put in place everything that we would need that we might enter into that rest by faith and obedience. Second observation is this, God's promise to bring his people into rest while conditional on faith and obedience is open-ended. It was a promise made to Abraham. It was reinforced by uh, a promise to King David and the covenant there and it's become focused on Jesus the Messiah. In Isaiah, for instance, in Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 to 9 we read, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Everything through history is coming to this point where it focuses on Jesus, the one who brings us into that rest. And so the third observation, just as entering that rest in the land of Canaan demanded faith in the promises of God, so too the ultimate rest that we might have, the ultimate spiritual rest is entered into by faith in one person, faith in Christ, whose work too has been finished since the beginning of creation. And it's in this rest that we can trust, we can cease striving, we can cease working, we can cease trying to be good enough. You know, one of the saddest, perhaps uh, most derelict cry of a heart, of any heart, 
is this, you know, when it comes to the end of my life, I hope I've been good enough. What an awful statement that is. For those who have faith in Christ, we don't have to ask that question because God declares the righteousness of Christ is on you. You're good enough because Jesus was good enough. Verse 10 reminds us in Hebrews chapter 4, those who enter God's rest through faith in Christ rest from their own work. This striving, this hoping that we're good enough, the endless treadmill of trying to be good enough for God. And the last observation is this, Jesus, the new Joshua, who leads God's people successfully into the land of promise, said these words that Ziley read for us earlier, Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and you will learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The really beautiful thing in that passage is this. Jesus says, come to me. He doesn't say, come to a set of teachings, although teaching is important. He doesn't say, come to church, although fellowship with other believers is important. He doesn't say, come to your psychologist, although God can use gifted counsellors. He doesn't say, come on a holiday, although we all look forward to those. He says, come to me, come to me. And through the scriptures we see those promises borne out time and time again. Come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we see in you the focus of salvation history for the promises that God, you God, have made for rest have been fulfilled in Christ. Back in the ancient literature of Isaiah, the word of the Lord said, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk, come, without money and without cost. Lord, your invitation to come to you and to find rest is still open. Father, this passage that we've looked at today from Hebrews is a challenging one to read and a challenging one to understand. But it reminds us that you are the one who promises a Sabbath rest for your people, a place where we might find contentment and peace in our relationship with you, a place where we are no longer enemies in our hearts because of the evil that we do, a place where we have been forgiven, a place where we have been restored. And Lord, in the midst of this busy world that we live in, one thing we perhaps need more than anything else is rest. And not just a cessation from activity and busyness, but a slowing down spiritually the opportunity to sit quietly in your presence, to be nourished by you, to be fed from your word, to be filled by your presence. And so, God, we pray today that we will not be like those ancient Israelites who on the cusp of entering that rest said, oh, no, we're not going to do that. Grant to us, we therefore pray, the gift of faith and the obedience that we need to walk according to your ways. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us. Refresh us today, we pray. 
Equip us for this week ahead, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.